I want to share to you this, with you this morning the message of the New Testament. Is that okay? Yes. Actually, it's just the message of the whole Bible, but it's really the message of the New Testament. And Paul wrote it in 1 Timothy 1.5 where he said, this is the purpose of the commandment that we would love from a pure heart with a clear conscience and a sincere faith. So the whole purpose of the Bible is that we would love. Now, we've got to make sure we've got the right word for love, because there's different words. One of the words for love would be eros, or erotic, or physical sexual love. That's not the love it's talking about. Eros love takes what it wants. That's not God love. Then there's philios, or brotherly or friendship love. That gives and takes. That's not the kind of love it's talking about. It's talking about agape love. Agape love gives. What would it be like if all Christians just gave? Would that be a good love? You're all excited, aren't you? You guys are so excited. What happens here on the Central Coast is you guys get used to no changes. It's hard to get excited, isn't it? It really is. It's just slow here, isn't it? That's why it's called slow, right? So, um, um, but when Jesus was asked, you know, what's the greatest commandment, his answer was always the same. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Just love God, right? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So every time Jesus was asked that commandment by people that were trying to always try to see if he really was smart, he would respond with the great commandment that you love God, love people, love yourself. So it was all about love. When you get to his last night before he got arrested in John 13, he gave him one new commandment. One new commandment. In John 13, 34, this is the new commandment. Love one another the exact same way I love you. Now, who's going to ever do that one? That's maybe that's why it's called new. Because it's not new. Come on, it's all the way back in Deuteronomy, that last sermon that Moses preached before they took the land with Joshua's help. The commandment was to love way back then, but the reason why it's new is because nobody's really loving each other the exact same way Jesus loves us. The whole message of the Bible is God wants people to become lovers. Love Him, and if you really love Him, you can't help but love people. In fact, in fact, in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, it says, if you don't love people, you don't even know God. That's intense. And that's the word agape. (laughs) In other words, if you don't give the same kind of love to people that God gives to you, you don't even know God. Paul said it this way. I love Paul. I can't wait to meet Paul. (laughs) I saw the movie. It doesn't do him justice. He really went through stuff. I mean, he's really good. So, 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 so listen to this. Paul said in Galatians that the only thing that even matters is faith working through love. Nothing even matters except faith, living by a perspective that God's reality is greater than yours, and the only way that will work is through love. Faith working through love. Paul later wrote in Romans 13 that we should never owe anybody anything except love. Wouldn't that change America? No mortgage payments, no car payments, just, I love you. Wouldn't that be awesome? (laughs) 
Then he said this, Paul said this, the same chapter, he goes, hey, if you'll just love your neighbor, that fulfills all the law. The whole Old Testament's fulfilled in this one thing, just love your neighbor. Do you get its love? Then you get to the last book, and he says to that church, you need to repent from the height from which you've fallen. You need to remember the things you did at first. You need to return to your first love. I wonder if God wants people that love. Paul takes a stab at this in a couple different places. One of the places he takes a stab at trying to describe love, because you really can't describe it really good with the human tongue, because it, if, you, if you're talking about agape love, which is God love, it, it bounces back between a noun and a verb and an adjective and a noun and a verb, because love is and love does. Love is, love does. Love is, love does. So how do you describe it? It's indescribable. That's why no mind can conceive. No heart has imagined the height, the depth, the width, the length, what? Of the love. How can you describe something you can't describe? But Paul takes two stabs at it. One of the stabs is in Galatians 5, that passage where he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. If you're a Christian, that means the Spirit's in you. Is that right? The Holy Spirit's in you if you're a Christian. How many believe that? How many of you don't believe that? Well, we must all be Christians. (laughs) <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit is love, because that's a, that's a, listen, that's a, that's a definite article, a personal noun, inference that the fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love. It's agape. But how does love play out? Joyfully, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That's love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so if you're really a Christian, what's being grown through you by God's power is love. Come on, Jesus is love. Is he love? Is God is love? He loved the whole world so much he gave what? Himself. And we know he's holy. Come on, we know Jesus is holy because he never sinned. Come on, Hebrews 4, 15, he was tempted in all ways, yet was without sin. So he never sinned, so he's holy. He's pure holiness. But if he didn't just manifest holiness, because if all he manifested to people he came in contact was holiness— They wouldn't have got healed. They would have got burnt up. Come on. If pure holiness comes in contact with pure flesh, we don't live. Aren't you glad we get new bodies that we'll be able to hang out in pure holiness and not die? So what did Jesus manifest? He put on human flesh, and he manifested out of his holiness pure agape. He manifested love because love never fails. Come on. Love can heal. Love can restore. Love can forgive. Love can cover. Come on. Jesus showed us what love looks like because he was love. He was love enough that he became one of us. So that's one of the stabs. It's Galatians 5. But I want to preach from from four chapters in 1 Corinthians 13. So can you turn there? I'm just going to run down these 15 phrases that describe love. And we'll see if... God wants to do something. It's good to see you. How y'all doing? We saw the elephant seals yesterday. It's awesome. We saw a coyote. My wife was 20 feet from a coyote, and she got out of the car, and she said, keep an eye on it. I thought, what good is that going to (laughs) do? I didn't have a gun. I mean... (laughs) What am I supposed to clap my hands? (laughs) 
but she took pictures of seagulls, she took pictures of sea otters, she took pictures of elephant seals, she took pictures of all these different kinds of squirrels and bugs and flowers, and I just had a high street deli vegetable sandwich, and I thought I died and went to heaven. So anyway, um, so, so here we go. You ready, you ready for this? This is Paul's description of love, and he's writing this to a church that had some issues because they no longer were operating in love. They thought they could usurp and sidetrack love and go into power and gifts and doing things for their own edification. That never works because love's never for yourself. It's always for others because love doesn't take. Love gives. And he describes this. I'm just going to pick up with verse 4. There's 15 phrases that describe what I'm trying to preach about this morning. And the first one, it just says love. The first two things that Paul uses are the big headline that encompasses the whole thing of agape. And the first one is this. Love is patient. So how long would you wait for me to talk about that? (laughs) Because that's what it is. Love is patient. And it's easy to say, I love you, but I'm patient with you is different, isn't it? But that's what love is. You can't separate the two. Come on. If I ask anybody in this room today, who loves your kids? Everybody would raise your hand, right? Who loves your grandkids? Oh, both hands, both feet, right? I mean, who, who who loves your spouse? Oh, love them. But if I ask you, how patient are you with your kids? Because that's what love is. Love is patient. It's easier for us in this area of California to be patient than the people that live down in the concrete glue of Los Angeles and Anaheim and Orange County. Because they, they, they're not patient. They're numb. <laughs> patient. I'm not always patient, but love is. You know why I think Paul uses love as the first word out of the 15 to describe it? Because if you're not patient, there's not enough time for any of the other things to manifest. I mean, if you don't give love time, you'll never even know if it is love. So it has to be patient. You see, I got got hit by a semi-truck almost 23 years ago, and I've had physical conditions that are... product of that for almost 23 years now, and I keep asking God, how long does it take you to right that wrong? And he says, how patient are you? And I'm very patient. How long do I have to be patient, God? He goes, you're not patient yet. (laughs) But love is. Aren't you glad God's patient? Come on, he's not willing that any should perish. But that every person that ever breathed oxygen on planet Earth should come to repentance and have eternal life. He's not impatient, so why would I ever be impatient if I'm trying to follow and be like him? Come on, you guys. Love is patient. Did you hear that, honey? (laughs) She has to put up with me. We've been together since eighth grade, and we're 57. And she's patient. Okay, here's the next one. That's enough on the first one. Aren't you glad there's only 15? (laughs) Love is patient. And then it says love is kind. It doesn't say it tries to be kind. 
It doesn't say it tries to be patient. It is. Love is. Love is kind. What is kind? It's benevolent. It's gracious. It's generous. It's kind. Some people say, well, no, you don't understand them. They're German. They're strong-willed. No, that's not an excuse. There's no, there's no fruit of the Spirit German. There's no fruit of the Spirit Italian. No, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. Are you with me, church? Come on. Love is kind. Love is generous. And I said, well, how many of you love your kids? Ah! How generous are you with them? Well, I'm going to leave everything I got to them when I die. Well, they won't need it then. They probably need it now. They don't need it when they're in their 60s. They'll leave their money to their kids then. Why don't you set the example and let them have what they need now and be generous? Well, I want to teach them a lesson how to work hard. That sounds like God. I'm being facetious. I hear so many people. Well, I'm going to teach. I'm going to try. I'm gonna, no, love is generous. How many of you love your pastor? Come on. How many of you love your church? Yeah, all of you. How generous are you? Because love is, well, you're just talking about money. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about generosity. God so loved the world, he gave 10%. (laughs) Come on. I'm preaching really, really good right now. Y'all are itching. You're itching. But love is generous, you guys. Love doesn't keep track. Love is generous. Love's, it's benevolent. It's gracious. It's like it lavishes. It overwhelms. It's like people that are... Why do waitresses hate Sunday more than any other day of the week? It's because church people are trying to race out of their service when their pastor goes long to beat the other church that the pastor always sticks to his notes, and when they don't beat him, they're impatient. So there's no way there's generosity. So Christians don't even tip 10%, let alone 20 or 30%. I talk to waitresses. We love Saturdays and Friday nights because they tip. The people that drink alcohol tip big. Those Christians are so tight. (laughs) Why? Love is generous. I think that Christians should be the biggest tippers, and every time you tip a big, big tip, hearts open up, and all of a sudden people would want to receive and have what you have, and I'm not talking about your money. I've led dozens of people to the Lord in restaurants because of generosity. It's a real good love language. How do you like it when you give them a track and say, return or burn? (laughs) <laughs> and you give a dollar tip, and they go, well, <laughs> what if you tell a man, Jesus loves you, and I love you, and I, I just want to be like Jesus, and here, and, ah. and sometimes the waitress comes up, and they're just having a real bad day, and they take it out on you. Have you ever had that? Where you can tell they're having a bad day, they don't have to tell you. The only way they're going to tell you that they're having a bad day is if you overwhelm them with generosity. And then they're going to say, you have no idea what this means. I'm having a bad day. And I, I, then I had the re- responsibility to say, I already knew you were. I could tell you're having a bad day. I thought I'd make your day better than your badness. 
and then they break down and cry, and you're able to pray over them, and then they bring all their coworkers out, and then you have a revival, and everybody in the whole restaurant wants to be prayed over. Why? Why is that even possible? Because love is kind. Love is kind. I wonder if God really wants us to love. I wonder if Santa Maria would change if we would just become patient and kind. Forget the other 13. I'm preaching good. Okay, let's get past the first two. Love is patient. Love is kind. How about this one? Love is not jealous. <laughs> oh, it's not. It's not. You know how I can tell Christians are jealous? I just follow Facebook feeds because I'm old enough to do Facebook. My boy does Instagram and Snapchat and stuff like that. I don't even know how to get on that, but I know how to do Facebook, okay, because I'm technologically, like, savvy right now. <laughs> I don't know how to send an email, but I know how to get on my Facebook. Are you with me? <laughs> and um, if, if people put requests on there for, for trouble, they get lots of likes and comments. If people put testimonies on there about how God's blessing them and favor, there's very few comments. Why? Because there's a lot of jealousy in Christians. But love's not. Love's not. Uh, this is good word, isn't it? Is, is this good? Four of you think it's really good. How about this one? How about this one? Love does not brag. <sighs> okay, so when I first got called to this ministry back in 2008, God told me to do three things. The first thing, get prayer partners. I did. The second thing, read the whole Bible every month. I did. The third thing, let the pastor or the district superintendent always do the testifying. You don't testify. I did. So every week, my wife would send out emails that the pastors would put out, and the DS is about people getting filled with the Spirit, people being healed, all the, all the testimonies. I wouldn't do it. We would just get them, email us, we'd send them out. We did that for six years. Three and a half years ago, the Holy Spirit told me, you can't do those emails anymore. I said, why? You told me to do it. He goes, you're bragging. And I thought, well, how am I bragging now when you told me to do it at the beginning? He says, because now you're using it as a validation point. When critics come against you, you use what people say that God's doing in your ministry to validate what I called you to do. You don't need nobody to validate you. You just need to be obedient and walk in love. So stop sending out the emails. So I stopped sending out the emails because God told me it was bragging. And love listens to love. <laughs> now listen, I got in trouble from people that wanted the emails to keep coming. And I couldn't tell them why I can't send them because I don't want to look like a bragger. So I said, I'm sorry, I can't send them anymore. Isn't this awesome? Yes. Love doesn't brag. <laughs> okay, how about this? It's not arrogant. It's not proud. Love's not. It's not proud. Pride is the root of everything that goes against God, right? Come on, Lucifer's brought a third of the angels to become demons. The world's a mess because of pride, but love has no pride. Love is not arrogant. How about this one? Oh, Lord, help me not to. Oh, verse 5. I have a hashtag now on everything I'm trying to do, hashtag becoming love. 
But this one says, love does not act unbecomingly. What does that mean? Love's not rude. What does that mean? Love has manners. Now, I promise you, you know, all the charismatics in town like to go to the healing rooms in Calvary Chapel and pray for 10 days for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But if you said, let's have 10 days of prayer for manners, nobody'd show up. <laughs> I'm preaching so good. I really am preaching really good right now. Because, because love has manners. Love's not rude. Love has manners. Love says, please. Love says, thank you. Love says, I'm sorry. Love says, you're doing a great job. Love has manners. I'm convicted. Because when God called me to this ministry, I came out of a life of construction where we didn't take time to enjoy the finer things like meals. We would run in our truck to the 7-Eleven and get a hot dog and a Coke and have it eaten by the time we were in the car heading back to work. And then calls, God calls me to sit with pastors and leaders at restaurants. And I don't know what to say. I'm not a good talker unless I'm up here. I'm okay here. I don't do good out there because I'm, I don't know, I'm insecure. I don't know what it is. I don't have good people skills. I'm preaching the truth. I, I can't lie when I'm preaching on love. Come on, you guys. And so what I would do is I, I get a little antsy and I'm nervous because I'm already done. They're just finishing their salad. I mean, what, what are you doing? I, I'm the fastest eater in my family. My wife's the slowest. Isn't it how somehow God puts the people with you that you need? I mean, when I go to eat with my wife alone, I, I make a conscious effort on the way to Longhorn. I'm going to eat slower than her today. And so every bite, 25 chews. I do that. I do that. I, I order my salad. I'll, I'll get it, you know, because if you chew slow with greens, it produces nitrogen oxide, which helps your heart. And so 25 chews, right? And so this is what I do. Take a bite. One, two. Whoa, <laughs> What do you chew, your tongue? I mean, I don't know what to chew. <laughs> so I try to put the fork down between, and I stare at the fork, and I can't do this. What? And so frustration makes me eat faster than not even trying to eat slower. <sighs> My wife says, do you enjoy it? I said, oh, man, I enjoyed it a lot faster than you did. <laughs> Isn't it terrible? I would go out to eat with pastors, and they'd want to talk about stuff, and I'm, I'd get itchy, and I'd get up and go to the bathroom. I don't have to go. i just get to move. I'd come back and sit down, and finally, they're still talking. i say, hey, hey, check, and I'll buy the food, because I want to go out and get the car and pull it up and just let them know I'm ready to go, even though they're still talking. They're still talking around the table, but I'm out in the car because I already paid for their food. And I used to figure if I would be generous enough, they wouldn't be upset if I just left them. <laughs> you said, is every pastor supposed to be this transparent? I think so. I mean, I don't know why else we would preach if we're not going to be real. Come on, you guys. And you know, I, I remember hearing people like my wife and pastors and people would say, oh, he, he's not rude. He's just, he's an entrepreneur. His mind's always thinking and he's thinking to the next 10 things and 
he just can't help it. He just can't slow down. And I understand they were trying to be kind. Maybe it's because I bought their food. You know, Jesus said, you didn't come to me because of the signs and wonders. You came because your bellies are full. So I understand how that premise works. If somebody buys your food, it's a blessing. I've noticed when I'm around my kids, none of them have anything longer than like a baby crocodile arm when it comes to the, getting the check on the table. I'll get it, Dad. Oh, I left my wallet in the car. I, let me, I have 25 in my family now, counting grandkids, and not one time does every one of their arms grow out when it's time. I mean, <laughs> oh, that's so true. It's terrible. <laughs> but love is generous. And so people would try to make excuses for my rudeness, and actually it was just wrong because it was rude. I shouldn't be in a hurry. I should sit there and listen and, because love is patient. Come on, you guys. Love, love isn't in a hurry. Jesus is the only man that got everything done the Father saying to earth to do of any man that's ever lived on the planet, and he was never in a hurry one time. I mean, the night before he got arrested in chapter 17, verse 4, he goes, Father, I finished everything you sent me to do. I did it all. And he was never in a hurry. He never got up early from a meal. He never raced to the next meeting. He just was patient and stepped with the Spirit because he was love. And love, and so I was rude. I was, at this, I was at this restaurant one time with a couple that were in ministry, and they kept sending their food back. And I personally, I, I believe the Bible, Luke 10, 8 says, eat whatever they put before you. Don't ever send it back because they'll spit loogies on it. I, I believe that. <laughs> I believe that. You don't send food back. You don't, if the steak's not right, eat it. Because it's not going to have on it what you want when it comes back. I promise you that. And they sent it back three times, and they're in ministry. And finally, they left. They left without paying. And so I paid for mine. I'm feeling terrible. So I'm following them out of the parking lot, and the owner, the owner of the restaurant comes out and pulls a 357 gun on their windshield of their car. He's going to—and I'm like, I wave. I'll pay for their food. And they're in ministry. Tell me why love could get away with being rude. Love has manners. When I drive from hotel to hotel, you know, we live 290 days a year in hotels. And sometimes it's an eight-hour day or a 10-hour day, and you're exhausted, and you get to the hotel, and the lady's on the phone. And all I have to do is this one time, I have no witness, because love's not rude. She doesn't need to know that I just finished a meeting and had to drive 10 hours. That's not her deal. Her deal is love has manners, and if I'm going to represent love, then doesn't matter about what I'm going through. What I'm there for is to touch what she's going through. <laughs> I just got to be mannerly. One time we did this unbelievable revival in Phoenix, Arizona, and 60 people got saved in one service. Literally, 60 people gave their life to Jesus. And the next day, my wife and I drove from Phoenix up towards Farmington, New Mexico, and we stopped in Gallup, New Mexico. And I got some gas, and I got out. I'm exhausted because the services went real, real long, and it's a seven-hour drive. I'm just whipped. I pulled over to get gas, and this Native American man comes up to me out of his old beat-up suburban. His whole vehicle's full of little Native American Indian kids. 
And he walks up to me with a five-gallon tank. He goes, sir, can you help me with gas? And I looked at him. I said, can you help me with my gas? Because that sounds like something Jesus would say. Are you kidding? Love isn't mannerly when it's trying to get something. Love is not rude ever. And I knew once I said it, it wasn't God. It was a tired man. Because I don't want to hurt the guy. I help him when I feel like it. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't do it when he felt like it? Aren't you glad he was love? Come on. Aren't you glad he never? So I hung up the thing, pumped it up. My wife's in there. She heard the whole thing. She's sitting next to me, and, you know, she stares at you, you know. (laughs) How come wives can do stuff we can't? I don't understand that. When I get to heaven, I'm asking God, why would you have more grace for them? They don't have to do what I have to do. So for two hours up to Farmington, she just quiet. I'm sick. I can't swallow. I have to preach. I got the eyes on me. I can't even look over there. Even when I'm turning right, I can't look over there because I don't want to see her because she knows I need to apologize. But there's no pride in love. So obviously I got some pride to go two hours without apologizing. I get into town, check in the hotel, get in the room. Finally, I can't stand it because there's no way I can preach. I said, I'm sorry. She goes, for what? Because I was rude. You sure were. (laughs) Sorry, honey. I can't make it right with that guy, but I'm sorry. Well, you should have never said it. I know. Love's not rude. It's a great chapter, isn't it? This is the first year in my entire ministry that God's let me preach from this chapter. Because he will never let me preach anything out of his word that's not transforming me at the present moment. I can't preach doctrine or theology to you that's not becoming flesh in me at the moment. Because if it's happening in me, then when I release it, there's a possibility what's going on in my life in transformation could happen in your life. And I've never felt confident to preach out this chapter in these nine and a half years of ministry till this year. And God said, I need to preach it wherever I go because now I'm finally humbling myself enough to admit that I haven't been love and I've known all the right words and known all the right theology, but I haven't been like Jesus. And if I'm not being like Jesus, what's the point? I'm preaching good. And I'm not bragging because love doesn't. <laughs> I'm not. Okay, I got to get off that rude thing. Okay, it's just terrible. (laughs) One more thing about manners. Um, My mom's the most mannerly person on the planet. If you ever go to Mrs. Bohai's house to eat a meal, she's got like forks on top of the plate. Three of them. I don't know what they're for, but she does. And then she's got things on this side and things on that side. And she will never put the ice in the glasses until it's perfect so it never melts before the drink goes in. And she's got the pretty flowers and she's got the Bible open and the little cross. And she has pretty little beautiful crystal little salt and pepper shakers that it comes out fast. So nobody has to reach more than that far around this table of 16. I mean, everything's perfect. She cleans the house. She cleans the the windows and the chandeliers. She even wipes the dust, the baseboards. She's 85. 
And if she's got time, she picks up all the sticks out of her yard because she's so concerned about etiquette and manners that when you come into her house, she wants you to experience God's love. And that's my mom and my dad has none of that. (laughs) And my dad's the cook. (laughs) But when you sit at their table, you feel like you're in the presence of Jesus. Why? It's because of manners. And I, I want to tell you this, if you're doing your manners to be noticed by men, it's not love. But if you're using etiquette and manners because you want people to encounter love, then that's one of the greatest examples of love. Amen. That's enough. I'm done. I'm done with that. Okay. Love has manners. It's not, it's not rude. It's not, it doesn't seek its own. That's one of the most profound statements in the whole Bible. If you're a Christian, you don't have your own agenda. What if all of us weren't in it for what we could get? What if Christianity isn't about what God can do for you? What if Christianity is about what God wants to do through you to change the world around you? What if Christianity has nothing to do with God's blessing and provision and security and healing and deliverance? What if that's not Christianity at all? What if that's a byproduct of having no agenda except Him being Lord and magnified and glorified in your life? Love doesn't seek its own. But Christians sure do. We all have our own agendas. Love doesn't seek its own. Okay, here's the here's the denouement. This is the this is the this is the heavy hitter in this whole list of fifteen. Love it, it's not provoked. <laughs> it's not offended. It's not. It's not. Love's not offended. Why is everybody in churches offended? Because love's not. Why does everybody in churches need deliverance ministry? Because they're offended. Well, my, my uncle raped me. Okay. Well, my dad didn't ever tell me he loved me. Okay. Well, my boss fired me. Okay. Well, the church didn't pay me. Okay. What's your point? Love's not offended. Hebrews 12, 14 says, follow peace with all people and seek sanctification, because without that, you'll never see God. The very next verse says, make sure not one little bitter root grows up within you that defiles you. What's the bitter root come from? You get offended at people. You get offended at God. But love's not. Love's not! See, now you're all staring at me. I don't care. I'm not offended. (laughs) And if you're offended at me, then this message is for you, obviously. (laughs) Am I telling you the truth? Come on. Here's my example of offense on steroids. You ready for this? I'm going to tell you a story about if I was a Christian counselor, I'd be the worst Christian counselor in the history of America because I would do it right. I would, um, I, I would go to the best school and get the best degree, spend a lot of money. Then I would rent a strip center and remodel it with travertine tile, mahogany doors, mahogany desks, beautiful blinds, Perrier water, all flavors, mints, fruit, fresh fruits, flowers everywhere, beautiful 
compassionate receptionist walk in to my doors, big giant library, leather recliner that I'm sitting in. I could cross my leg because if I was a Christian counselor, I'd be thin like my son so I could cross my legs. I can't do it now. But, um, and, and then I'd have these beautiful couches with mints, you know, and water and Kleenexes and come on in, my first customers. I'm a half a million dollars in debt to make this thing happen, right? With my school and the remodel, I'm half a million in, so I got to charge 180 bucks an hour to make it work, right? So, yes, come on in. So the reception's really click have a seat. Why are you here? Well, we need counseling. Oh, good. Hmm. Okay, um, where are you from? Well, we used to go to the second church of the offended, but now we're from the first church of the offended. Oh, I know that church well. Yeah, it's, it's first and, yeah, that's where it is. Okay. What do you do? Well, I, I teach the offender Sunday school class, and she says, well, I work in the offender's nursery, and, and we, sing in the, we sing in the offender's ensemble. We're singers for the offender's singer group. Oh, good. That's really good. I mean, which one of you would like to go first? I'll go first, the husband says, and the wife rolls her eyes. Because she's not offended. And so I ask him, okay, Mr. Offense, um, what's your problem? Well, she doesn't meet my needs. She doesn't ever do what I tell her. And I, have eight, I have eight needs. She only meets five, six at the best, never at the right time. I just want her to meet my needs. And so I say, time out, time out. I have a question for you before we go any further in this counseling session. Are you a Christian? What do you mean am I a Christian? I'm my pastor recommended I come to you. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm agreeing to spend 180 bucks an hour for you to help our marriage. What do you mean am I a Christian? I guess I'm a Christian. I put money in the offering plate. What are you, what are you talking about? Let me finish, Mr. Offense. Because <laughs> if you're a Christian, um, you've been crucified with Christ and you no longer live, but Christ lives in you and you've denied yourself and you take up a cross and you're following him. So he supplies your needs. You don't need your wife to supply your needs. You're a brand new creation. Your needs are supplied in Jesus. So before we go any farther, me giving you life-filled words, you need to come to life so they have an effect on you. Because until you're dead to yourself and alive in Christ, my words won't help you. So are you a Christian? Well, I'm not going to put up with this. And he storms out of the office. And this is my first customers. I'm a half a million in. And the wife looks at me and says, see what I have to put up with? <laughs> it's so sad we have to laugh. Because if we really were becoming loved, there'd be no offense. So I asked the wife, Mrs. Offense, would you like to go now? Yes, I would. What's your issue? He always pushes my buttons. Okay, go ahead. He just pushes them. He wants me to do this. He wants me to do this. He wants me to cook this. He wants me to go here. He wants me to do, he always wants me to give him my, he pushes my butt. He knows right when to put, time out. I have a question for you, Mrs. Offense. What is it? Are you a Christian? <sighs> I told you, I teach the first offenders nursery class. I sing in the, what do you mean am I a Christian? Well, I didn't ask what nursery class you taught and what group you sang in. Are you a brand new creature? Are you dead to yourself? Are you alive in Christ? How can you have buttons when you're like Jesus? Jesus doesn't have buttons. Well, I'm not going to listen to you, 180 bucks an hour. And she leaves, and I'm out of business, two customers in, a half million in debt. 
Because I don't think our counseling will help people that aren't Christians unless they really want to become love. Because love's not offended. Jesus just had his back tore off and a hundred people spit in his face and he's carrying his own cross with a guy helping him get it to the hill and I can't even imagine Jesus throwing the cross down saying, I'm not doing this, Father. This is ridiculous. They chose Barabbas over me. I'm offended. How can we not think Jesus could say that? Because he was love. He was love. Love doesn't get offended. Come on. He wept over Jerusalem. Jerusalem didn't hurt him. He hurt for them. Love doesn't get offended. Love just hurts for people. Paul's in the inner prison, just had his legs and feet rotted where they're trying to hobble him, right? He's, he's crippled because of his faith and his testimony, the Word of God. And he doesn't sit down there at midnight and say, God, my feelings are hurt. Why can't you protect me? What does he do at midnight? He starts a worship set with no music. Why? Because love is not offended. <gasps> we are. <laughs> it's a good message, isn't it? I, I stole the whole message right off the pages. I'm not coming up with anything brand new. If you're upset with this message, take it up with the author. <laughs> it's not offended. I get offended. I need to become love. doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. In other words, it doesn't keep track. Oh, boy. I'm not even going to go there because we all do. Even when I put it under the blood, even when I ask God to forgive them, even when I ask God to forgive me for being offended, I still remember the people that have said things, and I, I allow that to affect my faith because I keep track, and love doesn't. Aren't you glad that when we stand before Jesus covered by the blood, he'll look at us and he'll say, I don't know what you're talking about. I forgave that 22 years ago. What are you talking about? And love doesn't keep track. Sometimes, sometimes my wife has the ability to keep track better than me because women are more like cats and dogs are like men. And men forget things the next minute, right? Because what's for dinner? We're like dogs. And cats are like, they slink around and try to steal your breath and rub on you and speak in other languages. I don't understand nothing they do. I don't understand it. I don't know what any of that is. Except I don't trust them, but they remember. And my wife can remember stuff from the time we were 14. I can't remember stuff from yesterday, so I don't get it. But I'm not, I don't know why I brought that up. Okay, let's, let's just keep going. Okay, so love doesn't keep a record of wrong, so that's the 15th time they've done that to me. Who's counting? One time Peter said, how many times should I forgive my brother, Jesus? Seven? I think Jesus went, because <coughs> he can't cuss because he never sinned. <laughs> so I think he coughed. <laughs> and he said, seven? Let's start with 490 till midnight, and then we'll start over tomorrow. Okay, I'm preaching good because I stole it. I, I couldn't preach good unless it was this. It's his word. Okay, you ready for this? 
Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. How come so many Christians get on the bandwagon when other Christians get in trouble? Why is the spirit that's so easy to raise up in the human vernacular is the spirit of jump on the mob syndrome when somebody seems to have failed? Love wouldn't rejoice in unrighteousness. Love wouldn't rejoice when somebody's hurting. It seems like Christians try to beat people up when they're down. But Jesus always picked people up when they were down. Come on, you guys. I, I, rem- I remember a few months ago, I was watching comedians, comedy, comedy central, whatever it is, my hotel room, and the guy was, it wasn't pornography, but it wasn't righteous. It was vulgar. And I was laughing. I'm all alone. I just ministered. People just got healed. God's flowing. I'm a man of God. I'm watching unrighteous comedy. And the Holy Spirit says, What are you doing? I'm laughing. It's not funny. It's unrighteous. I just shut it off, man, because love listens to love. How do you know if you're becoming love? All these verses are transforming you right now as I'm saying them. How do you know if you're in rebellion? You can't wait till I'm done. <laughs> is, is it the truth? I mean, if you're, if you're following after love, if you're trying to become like the man of love, come on, if you're trying to be Christ-like, you want this to happen in your life. We want, I want it. But I don't want to do stuff that he's not comfortable with. I, I want to rejoice in righteousness. I don't like when people, Christians, tear apart politicians. I don't like that. I don't like it when Christians and somebody's failed. Listen, somebody's failed in ministry. And all, well, I told you, look at that. We, if, if we're becoming love, we already know how much they hated failing because we failed. And if we're becoming love, we don't want to crush them. We want to somehow come along them and pray that God will give them enough perseverance to come back. What did Jesus say that night before he got arrested? He says, the only way they're going to know you're mine, the only way they're going to know I'm from God is how you actually love each other, not how you jump on each other when one of you's in trouble. Love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. Love rejoices with the truth. Okay, last verse. Say amen. Last verse. Somebody say amen. Amen. Love bears all things. (laughs) You know what this word bear means? Just look at me. Can you look at me? Love does this. It builds a protective covering over the person or the persons that are lost, they're deceived, they're hurt, they're broken. And it doesn't try to expose them and say, I told you you were wrong. It builds a protective covering of love over that person so grace and mercy and love have a chance to set the person free because you're making space for God to work instead of trying to expose them. Love does that all the time. I have a person in my life right now that's close to me. I'm not, I can't say nothing about it because I, I want to bear. But I'm having to pray that God breaks my heart for that person. Because Jesus' heart broke for people like that. And it seems to me like the closer the people get to me, 
the harder it is for me to bear them in love. The harder it is for me to cover that person when I know them and I know they should know better. And, but love doesn't pick and choose what it bears. Love bears all things. Amen. Look at the next one. Love um, believes all things. Man, that just, that just wrecks me. Because that's, of all these 15 phrases right now, that's the one that I'm convicted on the most. That one right there. You ready? You know why? Because belief is different than faith. Belief is different than hope. Belief is 100% convinced, persuaded, no doubt. God wants to do it right now. It's his will. It's his, it's his word. It's his heart. It's his passion. And after nine and a half years of traveling from church to church and seeing religious spirits and seeing people that have an encounter and then they back up because they don't persevere because love perseveres, you know, come on. And seeing that, you know, you, you, why, why do I have to keep reviving? Why aren't they living this? Why? And, and after a while, my heart gets so tired and I don't believe. I just want to go home, you know, I just want to go home and play with my grandkids and this word says love never stops believing it can't because love believes I just finished my gospels class and my course of study I got nine classes done I'm on my 10th class I get my district license this June on this district in Los Angeles June 15th the, the anniversary It's the, it's the 23 anniversary when I had my encounter with Jesus in the hospital in 1995, June 15th. It's the day I get my first district license. I'll be a legal pastor after 1,100 churches. <laughs> legal. <laughs> I want to believe. In the Synoptic Gospels, there's 30 different verses that talk about belief or believe, but in John, there's over 60. Actually, if you take some of the tenses of believe, there's 100. In John 11:40, it says, didn't I tell you if you believed, you'd see my glory? I don't think Jesus could come back for his bride and tell that it's a, it's a generation that actually lives in the glory. Because he's going to come back for a bride that looks exactly like him. He's not going to come back for some attendant to a king that hopes she gets a night with the king. That's not the bride. The bride sleeps with the king every night. The bride doesn't go around talking about, oh, I rubbed shoulders with the king. Oh, he talked to me. Oh, he looked at me. The bride becomes like the king because they're one flesh with the king. And until we are a generation that believes, he can't come back. And love believes all things. Jesus said through John's writing in John 20, the whole reason I wrote the whole book of John is that somebody might believe. Love believes all things. Love just doesn't believe when there's 10 days of prayer and fasting. Love just doesn't breathe when it feels like the tide of revival might be swelling. Love never stops believing. You see why this message of love is the message that will usher in Jesus' return? Because until we become a people of love, he can't come. Believes all things. <laughs> okay, there's just a couple more. <laughs> Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. I'll, I'll just loop, loop, loop those two together. The guy that wrote those words is the guy who um, 
whenever he would come to town, his call ahead to the pastor would say, hey, pastor, do you guys have a Hampton Inn or a Holiday Inn that I could stay in? He would never ask that question. You know what his question would be? Hey, what's your jail situation like? Because <laughs> I'm probably going to end up in jail when I show up. And that's the guy who wrote Love Hopes All Things. Oh, I want to take it deeper. If you want to know what would have been on Paul's office if he had one, jail cells were his office. So he didn't have room to hang up PhD from Gamaliel School of Ministry. He didn't have room for that. But this is what he would talk about in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 and following. Imprisonments without number. If I got locked up one time, it'd be in every message. Because <laughs> I'd like brag about getting thrown in prison, right? Too many times the number. Beat in prison, shipwreck, night in the wild, in the cold, wild men, wild beast, rotted three times, lashed five times. Eh, those light things that were nothing compared to the pressure I feel all the time wondering if the churches are going to stay in the faith. And those people that are really going through hard times, I just carry them all the time in my heart. So this beat in this body, it's nothing. Oh, by the way, love hopes all things. The guy that wrote this wrote Romans eight twenty eight. God works all things together for the good. I wonder if his definition of good would be different than ours. How do you get a guy down that can't get offended? Rip his flesh off his back and throw him in a prison. He goes, oh, great, time to write another book in the New Testament. I'm chained next to these guards. Oh, all of Caesar's household is going to come to faith because they think they have me chained to them, but I'm chained to them, and I'm not going to let them go. How do you get somebody down that can't get offended? You can't. What if we became love? So the boss, the neighbor, the spouse, the kids, the cousin, the aunt, the, the, the parents, the physical condition, the financial picture, what if none of that could offend us? Because we just hope all things. We believe all things. We endure all things, man. We just, we can't be stopped. Whoa. Wonder why it hadn't happened. Because it might be a little impossible for us to pull it off without him. Is that right, church? Love endures all things. And then the last phrase says, love never fails. So I'm done. I'm going to tell a story. Is it okay? Say yes, it's okay, Brother Dan. I'm going to, whether you want me to or not. So I'm going to come down here so I can tell my story. So a year ago, I was in the hospital. A year ago, I was in the hospital with um, what I thought was asthma, but it was AFib. I didn't know what it was, but it's your heart out of rhythm. And it's a picture of the church. Because when your heart's out of rhythm of God's heart rhythm, then nothing works. Your mind doesn't work clear. Your body has no strength. You can't take good breath. You don't have any breath of the Spirit unless your heart's in rhythm with the heart of God, which is love. Because love comes from the heart. It's not a, it's not a feeling. It's a choice of your heart. Are you with me? Yes. So I'm in the hospital, and I'm, I'm in this room, and I'm, I'm discouraged. I'm frustrated. And I don't want anybody in that hospital to know I'm a Christian. Because I'm not living love. 
I'm living offense. I'm offended at God. How could you let me get sick? I'm a man of faith. I'm trying to bring the kingdom. How could you let that I don't have time to be in a hospital. And I don't want to witness to my nurses. I want help. And my roommate, I'll never forget this, he's pooping his pants next to me, and the only thing separating us is a sheet. There's no ventilation taking the smell off of his side. It's just coming into my room. Poop. I'm not happy. I'm a great man of faith. I see miracles. And I'm offended at God. How long, God, do I have to have physical problems? I'm not being rude to people, but I'm sure not giving them love. I'm isolating. How do you know when you're becoming love? You don't want to isolate. You can't wait to rub shoulders with everybody around you. That's how one way you know you're becoming love. And it has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has everything to do with what God's doing inside of you because you can't contain it. Because when you're not becoming love, the tendency is always to get alone, isolate. And when you get alone to get with God, that's one thing. When you get alone to get away from people, that's a bad thing. Are you with me, church? So I'm grumping to God. I'm kind of grumpy to my wife. I'm in fear because they told me, well, we can fix it. How are you going to fix it? We're going to let you have a cardio version. Okay, that didn't sound too bad. Then the next doctor says, we're going to let you ride the white lightning. What the heck is that? Ride the white lightning. That's not good use of words. I have visions of that from TV. Clear! I don't want to do that. And I'm afraid. But there's no fear in love. So I'm grumpy, I'm sad, I'm disappointed, I'm unsettled, there's no peace. It's about three in the morning after the first day in the hospital. We checked in at noon, it's three in the morning, and they're taking my blood, and I'm allergic to needles. I I am. They say, any allergies? Yes, needles. (laughs) I mean, I I just see the needle. I get sweaty, clammy, I whoa, I'm gonna pass out. Just I don't have to, they don't have to poke me, just let me see it. Okay, I'm done, I'm done. We, we had to get a blood test in 1980 when we got married because back then they didn't want you to marry your brother or your sister. Now they don't care. You can marry whatever you want. You marry your dog now. I mean, I, I went to a bathroom yesterday at this coffee shop and said, well, anyway, it doesn't matter. I, I, I didn't know what the sign meant. I didn't know if that meant apes could go in there and poop on the floor. I didn't know what it meant. It, it just, I'm from Kansas. We're not enlightened. Okay. So, so I don't like blood tests. I passed out on my blood test when I got married. I passed out and nothing's ever changed. And so when they, I just say, which arm are you gonna do it on so I can look the other way and close my eyes and start singing out loud the whole time you're doing it because if I hear the little tubes that you changed, I'm passing out. You get the picture. And it's never hurt one time. I've never even felt it when they stuck it in me one time so it's all in my head. So I got so mad I didn't give a rip when they checked my blood every three hours. Just go ahead. I could even look at it. I didn't even, I got so out of love, it didn't even bother me anymore. You can tell I'm in trouble if taking my blood doesn't mess with me. So it's three in the morning, and I'm just sitting there steaming in my self-pity, and the Holy Spirit talks to me. You know what he says? Hey, Dan, remember 22 years ago when you got hit by the semi-truck? And all you had was me for a whole year, but I'm all you wanted. I really miss those times. That's all he said to me. He didn't say, hey, bonehead, why don't you suck it up and be a Christian again? 
Aren't you glad love comes to us in love? Aren't you glad mercy triumphs over judgment? Aren't you glad kindness leads us to change our mind? Aren't you glad he doesn't give us what we deserve? <laughs> and I just remember when he said that, I missed that. I missed that. I remember all I could say was, I do too. I'm sorry. And the moment I said, I'm sorry, he filled my heart with love. And I knew I wasn't there for me. I was there for him. Isn't that amazing? Just one, I'm sorry. He took me back, took me back into his heart, and now what's in his heart can't wait to come through my life. And all I did was say, I'm sorry, because love said, I miss our time. So the next day, I couldn't wait till seven in the morning came. You know, I didn't get any sleep in the hospital. You can't sleep in the hospital. You get home, get well, right? So the next day, I couldn't wait till seven in the morning because the new nurses come in, the new nurses assistants, the new nutritionists, the new whatever, and they come in, and I couldn't wait to share my faith. And so the whole day, too, I'm just giving them love. I still have AFib, but it doesn't matter because now I'm in love. You get it? Because love never fails, and love is patient, love is kind. It's not offended, right? Because now I'm living that. And what'd you do to get in love, Dan? I said, I'm sorry. Hey, Amen. Isn't that easy? His yoke is easy. Amen. Amen. So, 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 so there I am. Listen, so there I am, and I'm giving words of knowledge to people. This one lady I prophesied, one lady I shared my testimony, doctors I prayed over, everybody I prayed over, and they moved me to a new room. I didn't ask to be moved. And the guy in my new room is an on-fire Christian. He was born blind, went to a William Branham tent revival when he was eight years old and got his eyesight. He's writing a book that Benjamin Netanyahu wrote the forward on how to live a life of faith. That's my roommate. And everybody that comes in our room, we're laying hands on him and praying over him. It's like a web of glory. Day two, still out of rhythm, but in love. Come on, you get it? So that night, they take me down to the room. They're going to do the, right? You ready? So I'm going. My wife says, you ready? I'm ready. Get down there. Nine of them. This little tiny, nine of them. Two doctors, anesthesiologist, doctor. No, two, three doctors, six nurses. <laughs> Whoa, this is big. And I'm just sitting there, and the doctor goes, we're going to give you something, Mr. Bohai, so count backward from 100. I thought, 100? How long does it take? <laughs> what about three, two, one? 100? And he goes, don't worry. I said, okay, but hold on. He goes, what? I want to ask the doctor something. I said, doc, does this work? And this is what the doctor said to me. I've been doing it since 1983, and it works most of the time. I could have heard something better than that. I, I didn't want to hear that. It's okay. It's okay. So then I said, hey, um, can you all hold hands? They went, why? I want to pray over you guys, because if I don't wake up, I want to go out praying. Well, sure. So nine of them held hands, and I held hands with the nurse and the anesthesiologist, and I just prayed over him for a couple minutes, just loved on him. I said, okay, I'm ready. And the guy says, count backwards. And so I remember, hun, <laughs> I didn't even get the D out of the hundred, just hun, and I woke up. I didn't know if it was heaven, but I felt good. Sinus rhythm, perfect. So I got checked out of the hospital, and the nurses from the second day gave me cards. Thank you, Dan, for loving us. Thank you, Dan, for caring about us. Thank you for praying over us. We never had a patient like you. I didn't hear nothing from the first day nurses. <laughs> so 
So, so what, what if God wants us all to become love? What if nothing else even matters? What if it's all a waste of time and money and effort if we're not becoming love? Am I right, church? And I think you guys are. I sat in a staff meeting with your leaders Friday for two and a half hours, and it felt like they all were what I'm preaching. <laughs> I was pretty blessed. You have amazing people here. <laughs> I don't even recognize my son, so it's a good thing. Amen. Amen. This year at Christmas, I went home, and this is my last story, and we're done in five minutes, so just be patient. And I had five weeks off, and I planned to take my wife shopping. I planned to take her to Crown Center and to the plaza and to malls and take my kids to parties and take them to the park and have all kinds of movies and just have fun with my family, right? Because love takes time. And I did this revival, and three days after my last revival, I was out on my morning walk, and my heart went out of rhythm again. Nine months with no issues, and it went out of rhythm. And I didn't get afraid. I just called the hospital. They go, do you have pain? I don't have any pain. I can just tell it's out of rhythm. Well, if you can wait till Monday to call your doctor, do it. If not, if you, if you, if you just come, okay, well, I'm okay. So I sat there. I went in Monday, and the doctor says, oh, you're not in AFib. You're in a flutter." So I was fluttering <laughs> like an angel. <laughs> I said, well, what's the difference? Well, that's a different side. I'm like, okay, how can you fix that? Oh, we can fix that easy. We just go in and we put a little blaze and we burn it and it'll never happen again. I said, okay, look, can we do it today? Because love's real patient, right? Love can... <laughs> it's December 5th and I got five weeks off and I want to have energy to be with my family, so let's do it now. He goes, well, let me look at my schedule. Uh, I can fit you in at 9 o'clock, December 26th, day after Christmas. Okay, perfect. Let me, I said, Doc, let me check my schedule. I, it's stupid. I didn't even check my schedule. I want it done. I'm home. So for three weeks, I have no energy. I can't walk. Every time I walk, you get out of breath because your heart's fluttering. Never did I have fear because I remembered from nine months earlier that love never fails, right? And what God had me do that whole three weeks waiting on that procedure was he had me read this 1 Corinthians 13, every single day. He said, I want you to become this. I've given you this time now, this whole month. I want you to become love. And every day I want you to put your name in there and read your name where love is mentioned. So I would read it every single day. Dan is patient. Dan is kind. Dan doesn't get offended. Dan doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Dan believes all things. I read it every single day, and every day I'd have to go to my bed and lay down and cry and pray because I knew I wasn't there. But every day I wanted to be. I didn't have energy to do all the things I wanted to do with my family. I went to, to, to the Union Station one time, and it was hard to walk with my heart out of rhythm. But I had time to spend time talking to my grandkids. I've never been able to do that before because I've always wanted to do the big blast thing, but... All I had was energy to have time to talk to them and ask them about their dreams and their school and their sports. And when I left to go on the road this January after spending all month in a recliner, both my daughters, April and Kristen, said, Daddy, this was the best Christmas we've ever had. And I said, why? 
because you took time to talk to the grandkids and they loved it. Love never fails. I want to become love. I want to. Who wants to join me? Amen. It's 100%. <laughs> it's 100%. Can I pray over you? Father, you're so good. Every time I start getting discouraged, I think about how patient and kind you are with me. Every time I get discouraged, I think about how you never keep a record of wrongs with me. You don't get offended by me. You always believe in me. You always hope for me. So thank you for becoming love, Jesus, as a man, so that we could make it if we follow you. I pray, God, that there would be no condemnation, guilt, or shame on anybody in the room, but there would be conviction that causes us to repent and we could become a people of love. Lord, this, this group of people in this room could change the whole city here if they really became love because love never fails. And so, Jesus, none of us can do this, but you're the one who does it in us. So I pray today, God, that you would lead us into all truth and you would call us deeper and deeper into your heart. And we would reflect you and we would become like you and we would be your body. I'm going to give you a word of instruction before we leave. Is that okay? Can I give you a word of instruction on how to do this? Since none of us in the room can, but the one who lives inside of all of us is. Isn't that good news? None of us can pull this off with determination and willpower because then we burn out and we get worse off than when we tried. But the one who lives in us, it's who he is. Amen? So I want to give you three words, and then you're going to go home on this. Is that good? The first, the first word is this, Holy. The first time in the Bible the word holy is used, it's in Exodus when God says, take off your shoes, Moses. It's holy ground where you're standing. What made it holy? It wasn't his shoes. It was the fire that was talking to him. If you went to that same plot of ground right now, it wouldn't be holy because his fire's not there. It's the law of first words used in exegesis in the Bible. And anytime something's used the first time, it's usually what it means all through the whole Bible. If you think you're going to be holy without being close to the fire, it's impossible. But if you just stay close to the fiery one that is holy, that's what you'd be. Amen? It doesn't take hard to get close there and stand there. That's good news. The first time the word sanctified is used, guess where that's used? It's when the creation story and God sanctified the seventh day and he rested from all of his work. He sanctified what? Rest. Well, how do I live the sanctified life so they don't get offended? Get close enough to the fire and park there and rest. (laughs) Rest from your own labor. Rest from your own hard determination and willpower and devotion. Take a rest. And let the love of God that's in you start consuming everything that's in you until you're at rest. And that's sanctification. It's not your works. It's his work. Third word, 
righteousness. First time righteousness is accredited to a man is Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God's word. He's called righteousness. What is righteousness? It's God-likeness in a person. Well, how did he become righteousness? Believed. I'm giving you really hard instructions, aren't I? Get close to the fire and you'll be holy. <laughs> Come on. Take a break and rest in his presence and you'll be sanctified. And keep believing his word and you'll be the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. Is that good? Yeah.